Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of Downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. I did watch a movie called Ah, A Music War about, uh, like, lots of post-punk concerts in the early 80s mm. and uh, there was a Devo concert at the California Theater as mm. part of it and it was incredible mm. incredible performance alright so there you go alright three two don't cut that Nate so coward <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined as always by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Not much, man. How are you? We got Goose Saturday, huh? It's very exciting. Oof. Yeah. So anybody anybody out there who's wondering what they should do with their Saturday evening, take a look. There's probably still some tickets available. Oh. Not many, but some. It's going to be great. And also joining us is managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What is up, Lopez? You're going to a live concert as well. <laughs> if I get tickets. <laughs> <laughs> get on it. Coming up on the show this week, San Diego police are stopping people almost 50% less than they were just a couple of years ago. And nobody can tell us exactly why. A new analysis by Voice San Diego revealed one bit of data that is on the same track as always, though. Racial disparities in police stops have crept up since 2020, despite the overall number of stops going down. Our Will Huntsbury will come in and talk about his story about all of that. Chicano Park is run unlike any other park in San Diego. Basically, a small private organization decides what events are allowed there. It's all a product of how Chicano Park came to be in the first place. And now it's 53 years old, and Andrea is going to explain what's on tap for that park. That and a lot more on this week's show. Stay with us. But first, we are hosting our next live podcast on May 10th. We will be back at the Whistle Stop Bar in North Park with other voice journalists and special guests. Voice members get in free. Non-members are $15. You should just be a member. Do it. Go ahead. You get a bunch of advantages all year long. Plus, you, you know that you have done your part to make this organization thrive. It's been $35 for like 15 years. Maybe we need to adjust with some inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wait, the event is filling up really fast. I, I'm not even sure there are tickets left, but give it a shot. VOSD.org slash events. You don't want to be sitting there on that May 10th, just wondering if you could have been there at packed whistle stop bar for the first live podcast there since the pandemic, get there, see the details and register at VOSD.org slash events. That's VOSD.org slash events. Okay, we're going to go through a few updates. First off, uh, last week we talked about why the city of San Diego, the mayor of San Diego, Todd Gloria, and council member Stephen Whitburn are pushing for a prohibition on homeless encampments. 
within the city of San Diego, even though there exists a prohibition on encampments within the city of San Diego. I wrote a piece uh, sort of fleshing out those points uh, more at the site, voicesandiego.org, uh, and um, just tried to make the point that, you know, I think there's uh, there's something here where the mayor wants to uh, really communicate to the world that homeless people are not welcome here anymore. If there's an impression that they are, that should stop. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I think that the the measure does communicate that. And yet, if he truly just wanted to communicate that, he could exactly say it in like just say simple it. sentences. Get out. Yeah, very directly. So it's like he wants to communicate that, but he also wants to leave like enough uncertainty. Yes, to appeal to those who don't like that idea so much. Yes. Now, I I led the story with a, a line about how <laughs> Councilman um, Kent Lee uh-huh. is in uh, is on Mayor Todd Gloria's shit list. Yeah. Now, I I wrote that because I don't know how else to say that. Mm-hmm. Like there is no words that came to my mind, and so I left it. I'm like, I'm going to get back to that. I'm going to get this in through the editing process, mm-hmm. and you both read it. <laughs> and you like, yeah. you left it in, and you're like, yeah, that's Solid. that's probably what he wanted. And you gave me revisions, and I re- and everybody's like, I, I told this story to somebody, and they're like, you somebody edits you, you're the editor. She, of course, every writer needs an editor. <laughs> mm-hmm. You both edited. You gave me revisions, and I revised them, but I never went back and looked at that. And then I was like, you kept saying like the first line was really funny, and I was like, yeah, oh my gosh, I left that in. <laughs> it's okay. I don't mind you know using bad language in the. Well, there's Stories. always a sort of uh, a tenuous element of editing anyone where you, right. you want to allow a writer to right. have their voice, to have the you know their word choice if it's not incorrect. Right. Uh, allow writers to have fun. Certainly, right. if you know if you're not having fun, what are we doing this what for? What are we even no, doing? No one's, We're not making any money. <laughs> might as well so be Chat GPT. Might, right. Um, <laughs> and so while it did strike me as like more aggressive than was necessary, yeah. <laughs> I also thought, well, you know, if if. That's how he's chosen to express this. I, I can't really see a, a great reason to, to put my foot down. So I guess I, mean, guess well, but I here, let him have but, it, you know? I mean, it was aggressive, but like, it's not not true. Like, we just talked about this on our last episode about how Kent Lee asking questions about this ordinance and then not supporting it basically got him kicked out of this press conference. Yeah. Um, not so, like, to sit here and anymore. how else do you say, like, you're on someone's shit list? I don't know. It, it, yeah. I don't know what you say. Okay, so, I know we're writers and we're supposed to know, but like that seems right to me. Yeah, so here's the question. It is what, the way is you it, would say it. Is yeah. there any other way to communicate that sort of thing where you're just like, it, now I've heard there's two alternatives and they both suck. One is <laughs> naughty. Naughty. Naughty is just terrible. It, it, it's, it, it, it feels awful. It the, feels the gross. Two, the two words that I like I despise, I can't hear, are naughty and yummy. Like an, ad, <laughs> an adult saying yummy is like... So like skin curdling to me. It's like, why are you talking like that? Yummy or, or or yum or any of its derivatives. Get it out of your vocabulary. Okay, uh, nothing is yummy and naughty. You're six. There's no there's, there is no context where Delish. naughty works. Yeah. Just Santa. Even that is just like I don't even apply to an hear. adult. It's got all these other implications. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not okay, right. What's the so the other option? one is doghouse sure mm. yeah. and he's yeah. in the doghouse but that implies you've been kicked out of your house by your wife and you have to stay in the doghouse right and so like there there's like a sexual sort of connection there as well or like yeah i, I think the the maybe this is because i'm sports pilled but the the, the implication of a player being in a coach's doghouse yeah and losing playing time has sort of subsumed the spouse living in the backyard as the preeminent version of that metaphor. Anyway, we need to send a request to the research institute that creates English language alternatives. Tweet Mm -hmm. at us. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it might be a better representation of like when the mean girls didn't want Regina to sit with them anymore. Yes. She was wearing sweatpants. You're not allowed to sit here anymore. Next update related to obviously the effort to prevent homelessness is tenant protection Ordinance went through. The council approved this. This was quite 
fast. They introduced it a couple weeks ago. Sean Elo Rivera, the council president of the city of San Diego. Skipped committee. Skipped a committee. Uh, the mayor supported it. What does it do? Uh, I mean, it just, uh, they put together quite a few amendments of, you know, there's, which is actually, it's interesting in San Diego. I don't often think we often see like that sort of legislative uh, sausage making in city council chambers. Right. Usually it's pretty baked when it gets there. It's usually, yeah, it's an up or down vote. A um, couple questions. A couple questions. But there's like 40 amendments to this thing. Jeez. Um, but basically it was uh, a ban on no-fault evictions. So people are paying. Uh, they're they're up to date with their rent. But um, a there's a, 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 typically the property changes hands. Mm-hmm. And the new landlord, after renovations, wants to increase the, um, the, the rent that they're being charged. And so somebody's going to get forced out. And in the event that you are forced out of your lease, um, you typically on like a month-to-month lease, but you're up to date on your payments, what sorts of um, what what sorts of uh, payments are you entitled to for relocation? Relocation mm-hmm. payments. So the in essence, like it's not just they want to raise the rent. Sometimes you know they need to get rid of the property for whatever reason, whatever, or they just need to do renovations, and you can't have people there. So, and then, yeah, sometimes they need to move back into the place. Right. Uh, but this says that if if you if it's, you do it, the evict- big distinction is for people who it, like this is not uh, in place for people who have stopped paying their rent or are many right. months behind. Sort of. Right. So the the whole point is that if you are current on your rent and they need to evict you or want to evict you, they it's not that it's banned. They have to do things to, they, to take care of you. They right? have to help you relocate. Yeah, okay. with through payments. Uh, and so that went through, just passed oh, eight to one. Yeah. Right. Well, I think the big push behind it was because they've been so focused in talking about preventing people from entering homelessness, right? That's this is like certainly how they pitched it was that this would, you know, at the very least slow down the the mm-hmm. one side of the equation of the people becoming newly homeless because like you you may have a job and be able to make good on your rent, mm-hmm. but if something like this happens, can you sign a new lease, put a, a put deposit. A, put Put up two months rent with a deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, moving itself can be a costly expense. Yeah. Um, and so, is that that simple thing disruptive enough to send somebody into homelessness? And mm-hmm. so they they sort of put that in in place as a idea of like slowing the the entry of new homelessness. Um, you know, I mean, I think realistically, it may not have a huge effect Mm-mm. one way or another on mm-hmm. homelessness, which is not to say that it's a bad idea or you shouldn't do it um you know the 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 idea about a panacea is that there are none Mm -hmm. yeah right like i think like the the easiest way to argue against somebody is to say that it won't be a panacea and the easiest way to argue against that is that nothing else is either yeah well the rent is quite high and maybe this decelerates it a little bit but um it is a, a big change going through now the other thing we talked about last week was the redevelopment of six blocks of downtown San Diego, the six blocks that the city controls around the current city hall at C Street. The city council did decide to, uh, over the next month, invite affordable housing developers and their partners to bid on five of those six blocks that include the the city hall, the giant parking garage, truly the immense parking garage. Is there a bigger parking garage? The thing is gigantic. Probably, but it is really big. If you park to the top and you have to go down, you're like holding your wheel to the to the left yeah. so you can wind down yeah. for a very long time. Very long time. And then the Civic Center Plaza Tower right there and the California or the, the Civic Center Theater that's right mm-hmm. there as well. Mm-hmm. So uh they want to basically dispose of that land, uh, put it on the market for lease or rent. They haven't decided, or for lease or sale, they have not decided. And they, uh, you know, the, we'll see what the bids are to do it. Now, if, if any, if any, if there's not, then they can do a whole range of other things. Right. Right. So the, Which I do think is their expectation that there won't be any bids. Yes. Huh. go on. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I think that's from folks I've talked to. That is most people's expectation is that the, the affordable housing percentage that you have to provide to bid on it at this stage is elevated 
elevated such that people will avoid doing so mm-hmm. um and so the expectation is that the the period would lapse without anyone jumping on it and then it will just be open for a rfp process like we did at the sports arena oh okay so this this the first stage the first stage is declaring it surplus land it's yeah. essentially saying we don't have a governmental purpose for this so before we can do any sort of non-governmental private redevelopment of it Mm -hmm. we need to make it available to affordable housing developers um, as part of the surplus land acts but when in the during the 60-day period that you do that there's i believe it's a 25 percent of all the units you would build in as part of your bid need to be reserved for deed deed restricted income restricted housing right Um, if if that period goes through and it and no one does bid then that surplus land stays with the city and the city can then do with it what it would like mm-hmm. by Got putting it. out an RFP uh, that RFP would I think have like reverts to like a 10% affordable housing requirement at that point. Got it. All right, we also talked about the other part of this that got a little contentious which was the Civic Theater that's right there. They they host all kinds of shows, uh, Frozen and Opera. Bob and Dylan, man. Bob Dylan, Jerry Seinfeld yeah. goes there, that kind when of thing. Top Gun 2 premiered. Premiered right there. Right. Mm. So that theater, is a, it's like the only type of place that can handle some of these types of shows. And uh, they uh, there's a lot of people who work there. The Stagehands, the IATSE Union is very active there. They want it protected. But the council was super concerned about any language that they said that required that. So remember when they did the sports arena, they said, you better, you have to build a new sports arena or redevelop the one that's there. But uh, we're going to, and they actually made decisions about who was going to take the the job based on who had the best sports arena plan, right? (laughs) Now here, they did not want to do that because it seems pretty clear that they want to use the money that's generated from selling or leasing the land uh, next to City Hall to rebuild instead the City Hall on the sixth block, right? Right. So including a new theater would essentially be using whatever money is generated from housing to build a theater. Now, I was a little shocked that they brought out the the estimate that it would cost $500 million to build a new theater. I'm On the other hand, though, like... Dude, you can't leave your house for less than five hundred million dollars these days, man. Like it's true, it's true. Uh, you can eat at Taco Bell sometimes yeah. for a good deal, but after that, yeah. it jumps quick. Yeah. Um, so the <laughs> the the next the they still wanted to do this. They still like classic San Diego. They wanted people to step up uh, and and protect this theater. So here's what they came up with. They said. Uh, in the language they approved, quote, the city desires proposals that guarantee the continued employment of all current theater workers. So maybe if they, they're like doing work uh, like stagehands at whatever's built, they're good. I don't think that's mostly what they do, though. Yeah. I think it's a different union that does that like builds buildings. Yeah, I don't know what they're what they think that does, and I I'm sure that the the people who worried about the language being alarmingly vague were not mollified by this language, but they offered no other design requirements or uh, and I think I think it's notable as well that they did not include anything about this needing to be connected to a downtown transit hub as Sandeg has talked about. Yeah, I mean it does there. There's no real indication that that's a priority for this project. Can we say that's done? That's not going to happen? I mean, so like what the proposal that that the mayor's office explained to me when they rolled out their transit to the airport plan, Mm -hmm. which was that they were abandoning the uh, NAVWAR Grand Central Station proposal, Mm -hmm. that they were going to pitch a spur from the uh, port headquarters over by the port headquarters mm-hmm. and that would just run along that that land and there would be a, a trolley spur from there and then potentially another one from santa fe depot so there'd be one for, one for riders coming from the north and one for riders coming from the south and that you would have a a a, um, a connection that way 
and it would be the that would be the quickest and the cheapest and the most direct way to do it. You could fund it with some of the money that the airport has from their expansion from airlines, and you could use some local money from whatever new tax measure you pitch. Um, that that would be phase one of a of a connection, and phase two would be a potential Grand Central Station downtown. But it seemed implicit in that phase two that that was very much like a uh, if it happens that way yeah. if if there's some real hunger for it after we do phase one and there's some money available then you know maybe that would be an idea that we pursue but you know very much written in pencil all right well right next to this entire development effort is the california theater mm-hmm. uh and just a quick update on that the city a few months ago demanded that the owners of the building demolish it Mm-hmm. And now Mara Elliott, the San Diego city attorney has said, uh, we need to get rid of it. And I thought you had a, a, a funny op- observation. She says in there that it's become a public nuisance, but she described it as quote, a venue for skateboarders, young explorers and graffiti artists. Do, do not threaten me with a good time. Mara Elliott. <laughs> you, like, honestly, if you, like, if you, if the California theater was undergoing like a mixed use redevelopment, right. And they've got this, this new like Miami developer comes in and they're like, well, what are you going to have there as part of your mixed use redevelopment? And they were like, it's going to be like vibrant place for skateboarders, young explorers and graffiti artists. People would be like, wow, fascinating. What, like what, what, like what a unique and artistic idea. (laughs) Yeah. To be clear, it is a very troubled building. <laughs> it does not also, look like a good time. <laughs> genuinely, like what are was, what was are she, young explorers? Though was she trying to be I know. like what is that? What are young like? Well, also was like she trying boy, to, sc- boy scouts? <laughs> <laughs> are there boy scouts in there? <laughs> yeah, just like, to be hanging out down. Just to be clear, this is an abandoned building that has been the site of all kinds of troubling uh, experiences and trash and deterioration like, and f- dangerous fires, fires and, and overdoses. It's, but again. It's, Let's, it's let's, not a laughing matter, but I, I don't know what a young explorer so is. So a venue for skateboarders. Really? Are there skateboarders just flying through there? I, don't, I, I haven't seen a skateboarder in it's, years. It's locked. A- anywhere? <laughs> anywhere. Oh. <laughs> what? Why is that so weird? I saw well, them it all the time quite at popular. San Diego State. But <laughs> it's a very, <laughs> here in Southern California, skateboarding. There are none. Send me pictures of yeah. skateboarders. I, I think that's I the difference say, of being that in. That is a take. <laughs> You That's live in Barrio Logan. There's a lot of skateboarders there. I have there. not seen a single skateboarder in Barrio Logan. Mm. Actually, I lie. Yeah, there's a skate park. Yeah. But I, but I mean like, <laughs> I it's don't like know. I mean like, stores I mean like shredding on city streets, you know, like I see them at the skate park. You don't not see like people on skateboarding on city streets yeah. here no, in San Diego? I have not seen one in a really long time. I, like, okay. All right. Hey. <laughs> But let's go through this. Young, a venue for skateboarders, young explorers, the Boy Scouts just like it, with their headlamps. Yeah. And it's then, and like here's my favorite part though, and graffiti artists. Is she trying to be like politically correct, like woke there that they're not just like taggers, taggers, taggers or vandals or whatever that she's like, they're, they're well, they're artists. I, they're not supposed to be there. We want them banned. It's a, it's a bad nuisance they're but they're but yeah we'll acknowledge that they're artists i don't know there was there used to be like a a very large space invader on uh on the california theater right acknowledge Uh, that they're uh, artists she's just like they're a nuisance she's like i just watched exit through the gift shop and like i don't want to be like hasty about like dismissing (laughs) this like expression in the streets All right. Well, we're we're worried about the skateboarders, young explorers, and graffiti artists, but hopefully they'll they'll find a, a more welcoming place soon. One thing we haven't actually talked much about the last two weeks is the ma- massive and shocking meltdown of one of the most prominent politicians in San Diego. Yeah, we just made a decision not to like cover that. Yeah, and yeah. we. It's weird how it like kind of went in the background for a little bit, but it's still, it's still a thing and it still happened. And Nathan Fletcher is still, I think, resigning. He's going to be back in a couple of weeks. That'll be. Does he show up and say like, "Hey, been real"? Like, I, <laughs> I know I did some things. Yeah, but I really enjoyed this job. Thank yeah. you. 
<laughs> do you get do you give a farewell speech? I Remember don't know. Bob Filner's farewell Ooh. speech? Ooh boy. Ooh, that was not good. So he he everybody still assumes he's resigning and he plans to do that in the middle of May. And we've been wondering what will happen. There is one declared candidate, Janessa Goldbeck, who uh, uh, a former Marine and uh, leader of a veterans political group, is uh, actively trying to raise money and run for that seat, even though it's not clear whether it'll be appointed or a special election. Yeah, the the procedural uncertainty makes it a little bit odd to talk about candidates because you've got people like Janessa who are like, hey, I want this job. I, presumably she's angling for votes as an appointment if that's the way it goes if not she's angling for you know building a campaign fund so she can run for it uh and then there's going to be other people who do that as well but then also you sort of know that there's probably some people who would never announce their intent but would still be angling behind the scenes for potential appointment Mm -hmm. but maybe not declare a candidacy for an actual campaign right right, you know well Monica Montgomery Stepp, who mm-hmm. is a city councilwoman from the southeastern San Diego district, District Four, uh, she has thrown her hat in the ring. She's she wants to be a, whatever candidate she needs to be for that job. For, for that job, exactly. And uh, the uh, other county supervisor, uh, Tara Lawson Reamer, in her statement about the position, she sort of heavily indicated that her expectation would be uh, that the black community is represented at that seat given uh what a large representation they are in that district Mm -hmm. um and so you know that that doesn't have to be monica montgomery step but it does um indicate that there would be some interest in 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 in, uh from tara lawson reamer yeah and i think we talked last week about some of the struggles that uh whitburn has had in trying to get other things done that he wanted he wanted to be mts chair and that got stalled and it got stalled by some of his colleagues. And it seems now that maybe that was about uh, their support for her, Monica Montgomery, or somebody like her. Or an ancillary benefit of that was their support for her. Right, to, yeah. to stop him from getting any kind of traction in other venues. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, but uh, we still don't know. And they're going to talk May 2nd, I believe, about what options to take about, whether to do an appointment or hold a special election, correct? Next mm-hmm. week. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Stops by San Diego police officers have decreased by almost 50%. This is according to a new analysis by our Will Huntsbury, who joins us in the podcast studio now. Hey, Will. What's up? What's up? Back-to-back weeks, y'all. I know. Mm-hmm. You should become a regular host. <laughs> I'm going to three-peat next week. <laughs> a voice like a warm blanket. I know. <laughs> huh? Well, Will, you had two stories this week. Big now, week. <laughs> big, big week big for me. Big week for you. Um, but the first story revealed that police officers have significantly stopped stopped people. Stop, stop stopping. stopping people. They've stopped <laughs> stopping. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, it's... it's uh, Something that I don't think anyone really realized. I mean, we all do kind of talk about it in Southern California, like, wow, do police ever pull anybody over? But that's kind of a different thing. What I found is that in 2019, 
officer, San Diego Police Department officers mm-hmm. stopped almost 200,000 people a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe that's your average number of stops. I, I don't know. I believe, And it was, you know, it seemed to be in that range in the years before. Since then, it has dropped by half. In 2022, just 95,000 or so half. people were stopped. Yeah, half. half. And no, just no one's talking about it. That's the crazy thing. Right? So well, now we are. So, yeah. <laughs> so b- before we go into some of how this, like, I mean, a, really a dramatic change in public policy uh, occurred. Dramatic. What is a stop? Right. Good, good call. Yeah. A stop in this instance is not just a traffic stop. It could be a traffic stop, but it mm-hmm. could be an officer on foot stopping you. It could be an officer. If they just talk to you, it's not going to count as a stop, but it still could be an on foot stop. It could be an on bike stop, an on horse stop, uh, any type. Pulling of, you off the trolley. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So half that's these, you know, sort of, I think the like the base level confrontation between a police officer and a civilian the sort of like that the most the 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 broadest of the denominators of when police interact with with people mm-hmm. have fallen in half that's you yeah, yeah in yeah, three I could, years in, in three years they and it's stepped down every year 2020 it's stepped down a little 2021 it's stepped down a little more and then you get mm-hmm. to 2020 and cops are doing about 90,000 stops a year Without really ever any announcement to the public, like, hey, guys, we're doing some major changes. We're going to be stopping people less, you know, which kind of led me to the next point Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out what was going on. So this was this was not because of some policy decision. No, I mean, there were a couple of policy decisions Mm -hmm. that account for part of this, Mm -hmm. but even police leaders will tell you that doesn't account for all of it. You know, the police officers did say they were going to stop doing saturation stops in the wake of 2020. That's where officers in areas with high perceived crime, officers will stop a lot of people like to help prevent crime. They Mm -hmm. decided maybe that wasn't the best idea. We're going to stop that. They decided we're going to pull officers off of the MTS. And we think and that's going to reduce stops, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were two changes they made related to 2020, related to the protests of 2020 to help bring down racial disparities. And and in the process of that, reduce stops drastically. But, you know, uh, as I said, pol- even police leaders say that didn't account for the whole thing. Help, help me understand. This. So in 2020, Chief Nislay publishes an op-ed in the Union Tribune, and it's in response to what's going on in the country at that time. This Racial is, reckoning. So he publishes this this op-ed in 2020 and says, we're going to end saturation stops and we're going to end, uh, we're going to pull our officers off of trolleys. He, yes, he said that in 2021, right. April 2021. And so, But it had already been done. He said, I've made these changes. All right. Yeah. And so when he says that, he pitches it specifically as a response to racial disparities in police interactions and says that this is going to be one of the ways, two of the ways that we address the fact that there are racial disparities, which means he's That's stipulating true. that there are racial disparities, True. that they can get, they can control them a little bit and that here are the ways we're going to do it. But does he say there will be like on volume, there will be fewer stops now as a result of this? Uh, you know, he didn't say that, but when I talked to uh, a captain in the police force, mm-hmm. Jeff Jordan, um, you know, he said that those things by necessity would reduce stops and they just would. That's logical. If you, you get know, rid of did, some types of stops. Right. If you get rid of some type of stops, there's going to be less stops. But, you know, Nislight wasn't saying like, oh, I'm, I, you know, we really want to stop people less. Right. That was not like the point. The point yeah. was like, we're going to do these two things because we think it'll lead to less racial disparities. And, you know, also it will reduce the number of stops. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because if you think about in 20, back 2020, the mayor at that time was Mayor Kevin Faulkner. Or if you go back to early 2021, when Todd Gloria took over um, and we had the same police chief, if they had said, hey, we're doing the police reform, the, you know, the George Floyd Police Reform Act, and our goal is to cut stops in half. Like, I feel like that would have been, mm-hmm. like, incredibly controversial. I think it would have dominated coverage. I think, you know, like, if you had said, hey, it, you know, if the, the activists who were demanding uh, major funding cuts during the summer of 2020 had said, the reason we demand these funding cuts is because we believe that they will result in 
half as many stops in three years. I think it would have been the central part of a major conversation about policing in the city. And instead, it kind of just happened. And it was, you know, there was a discussion about what other effects that ending these two types of stops would have had. But there was no discussion of like, let's stop half as many people. Right. Yeah. No, no, that that didn't happen. There was no there. Were, yeah, I th- it, obviously it's been a huge change in the way the city gets policed and it's gone completely untalked about, completely unrecognized, I think, until this moment. Mm-hmm. So in your reporting, what were some other reasons for the stops decreasing aside from those two changes? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's some interesting stuff in the question of why. It's real complicated. It's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's two things we just mentioned, saturation stops and um, pulling officers off of MTS. SDPD has also been dealing with ongoing staffing challenges for a decade, though. I mean, they, they, we have had kind of ups and downs in staffing, but police have consistently told us for 10 years we don't have enough staff and city leaders have mostly agreed with them that took a slightly bigger hit in 2022 because most likely of uh, Todd Gloria's COVID-19 vaccine mandate police Mm -hmm. really hated that about 240 officers left the force that year usually in a usual year it's about 160 so that that affected it too, and they mentioned that. But what one criminologist talked to me about, or criminal justice specialist, um, was the idea that police didn't like 2020. You know, they didn't like the protests. They didn't like the animosity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he he said that at least part of this is likely some kind of soft strike where police are not doing certain duties or as many duties as they used to do because of all this perceived public animosity and because of negative media portrayals. That's something Jordan also mentioned to me. Um, You know, so 2020 was like clearly a watershed year Mm -hmm. and that's when stops started going down. And, you know, another thing that's probably gone up since 2020 is people recording police. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't like that either. And that's something else Jordan said. No one wants to be the next viral video. So I think they're ticked off at public animosity. You know, they don't like people filming them. They have legitimate staffing challenges. They've made a couple policy changes and all these things going on. Well, you know, I mean, one way to say it, there's a lot less policing going on in this city. I mean, like you said, Andy, stops are the main way police or one of them. It's the main way regular beat cops do policing, yeah. maybe not detectives. But and that policing has, you know, been cut in half. Yeah, it's wild. So the the department didn't like fundamentally dispute the idea that this was a reaction, either conscious or or subconscious to uh, protests and uh, animosity towards police. They didn't they didn't say, nah, no way. Not true. Yeah, I, I got to put I put that to Jeff Jordan and to Jared Wilson, the president of the police union. And neither of them were, yeah, n- they neither said that is fundamentally untrue. Uh, Jared Wilson did throw something in like, you know, the police have not stopped policing. That's not what's going on. But at the same time, he admitted like, you know, there was some relation to stops in 2020 mm-hmm. as as well, you know. So uh, that, that that nobody vehemently denied that at all, that, that this played some role. Wild. Okay. And so you didn't just find that stops went down. You also found that among the stops that remained, certain trends continued or accelerated. Yes. April 2021 um, op-ed by Nislight is important. Post-summer of 2020, but it was a response to 2020. And so Nislight, first of all, he acknowledged that there were racial disparities that were perhaps bigger than they should be. Mm -hmm. And he said he could and would do something about that. You know, he said these changes that I've made, pulling officers off of MTS, not doing saturation stops, they're going to reduce disparities. I think he was saying that because he was, he was, you know, the uh, saturation stops were occurring more in neighborhoods where people of color live, more people of color. I'm, guessing ride MTS. So I don't know if that's actually true. It does. Um, And so, you know, he's saying we're going to stop policing so hard in these areas where there are more people of color and that's going to bring down disparities. 
So the second thing I did to the stop data was analyze it for racial disparities. And, um, you know, they have not gone away. They actually have gone up. So, you know, he made this promise. It's not a promise he's been flaunting all over town since then. It's not something police officers are talking Mm -hmm. about a lot. Hey, guys, we are. We promise we're really working on racial disparities. We're really going to bring them down. But they did make this promise to this city and they have not fulfilled that promise in any way. Yeah. And so. Let's look at the components of the racial disparity. So the uh, of the stops, what happened to stops of black people? Sure. So, you know, just in the number of overall stops, the stops of the percentage of black people who were stopped stayed the same. The percentage of, of, of all stops of all stops. Yeah. So, yeah, of the you know, of the 90,000 stops that mm-hmm. were happening in 2022 or across all these time periods. Uh, you know, it said the same for black people, but it's gone up for Latino people. It's gone down for white people in terms of their share of the times they've been stopped as stops have dropped. The share of Latinos getting stopped has gone up for black people stayed about the same. It's pretty disparate. You know, they, they represent 6% of the population and Mm -hmm. 20% of all people stopped, but that 20% has been standard. Okay. And so then one thing you mentioned is since the number of stops have been cut in half, even if those percentages changed, the raw number of people who had been subjected to stops went down just because the the, the pie got smaller. That's right. right. When it, you know, we'll talk about use of force in a minute, which is yeah. a different story. But in overall stops, all people are being stopped so much less that that means fewer black people are being stopped, fewer Latino people, fewer white people, fewer everything. We're talking about the share of um, stops that each racial group makes up and how those disparities have gone up. Right, right. Okay, so you 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 set yourself up, you allude to the next one, use of force. Use of force. So that was the other thing uh, I really wanted to understand is first we checked overall stops. What are the disparities there? Then I checked times when officers use force. That rarely means shooting a gun it much more often means just like unholstering their gun and pointing at somebody using a stun gun using pepper spray uh you know putting somebody in an arm bar whatever else they do um so in that regard the use of force has actually not gone down at all so the number of stops have gone down by half use of force has actually gone up a little bit Mm. um and within use of force data Latino people and black people's share has increased while white people has gone down. Percent of stops that included force went up or the actual instances of force being used went up? The actual instances of force being used went up uh, from about 3,500 a year-ish to about 3,600. So it hasn't gone up much, but you would think, you know, that stops, since stops have gone down Mm -hmm. so drastically, probably the use of force would go down a bit. It has not gone down at all. Um, and the disparities within it have increased. The share of black, it's even more stark. The share of black people that have force used against them, 27%, even though they're 6% of the population. There were literally more black people that had force used against them than white people, even though 42% of the people in the city are white and just 6% are black. Uh, it also went up for Latinos. For Latinos, uh, it's you know it's a bit higher than their share of the population. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting for Asian people, the it's uh, much less than their share of the population in terms of stops and use of force. Asian people are not having to deal with the police uh, as much as other people. It seems like. So I mean, if you were to think about it like a funnel, right? Like the 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 largest. The, the mouth of the funnel is stops, right? That's the first exposure. And then, and then what happens after that is going to be progressively lower down to use of force or arrests or something like that. Um, for, for the number of uses of force to not change, to actually to increase, mm-hmm. is, would one possible explanation then be they've essentially stopped making these some sort of like stops that are like fringe whether they're worthy of a stop whether they've decide whether they really think it's in pursuit of some sort of crime whether they have some sort of like 
really uh, low-level intervention that that was easy for them to let go of, that was less likely to result in a use of force, whereas they they continued to make stops um, if they, you know, believe that somebody has actually committed a crime or something like that, and that, therefore, they just represented a larger concentration of yeah. those that resulted in force. Is that, is that a possible explanation? Or, you know, did, I mean, I you- think so. I think probably a lot of the stops that fell off were stops that were not likely to end in force. That's yeah. got to be maybe the biggest part of the explanation. Right. But, you know, with stops... Which is probably why they were willing to stop doing them in the first place, right? If you're a police officer. Right, because you think because they're not necessarily high yield, high stops. yield stops. Yeah. Right, they're they're the least stops that are least important to be done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's possible. But even with stops falling by ninety percent, that is gonna by necessity catch some of the stops that ended in force. Ha- would have it to. would have to have to. Right. So the idea that they've gone up is still a little hard to process. It is, absolutely. you know. Yeah. I mean, I could see that they wouldn't fall by half. That that makes sense that yeah. that use of mm-hmm. force wouldn't fall by half because you've stopped doing minor traffic stops that were never ending in force anyway. Right. But that just simply cannot account for fifty uh, percent yeah. and then an increase on the other side. No right? way. Yeah. No way. So what were some of the police department's uh, reasonings for some of the disparities that we saw? Right. Well, police have always maintained you know, they they had this blip in twenty twenty one where they said they're gonna bring racial disparities down. Mm-hmm. But over the long haul and to this day, they continue to say something else way more often, which is that, well, crime occurs more in communities of color. There's more poverty in communities of color. There's all these social factors that we can't control for. And so you would expect to see some disparities. And I asked um, Robert Weisberg about that, a criminal justice uh, specialist at Stanford, and he said, you know, that's true actually that you would expect to see some level of disparity but there have been all these studies of san diego that controlled for things like crime rate etc still found a disparity and you know what uh, weisberg said was like if you're you can't just like casually throw that reasoning out when black people represent six percent of the population and 27 percent of force use cases that's just a massive gap that you just can't casually be like well there's just more crime around black people and that's really all there is to it you know right it's it's a true observation and but you actually have to be rigorous about demonstrating right that it holds true to those specific numbers statistically right if you know if and you, the if rigorous you the studies we've seen have shown that you know there are disparities even when you control for you know right. crime rate in different neighborhoods right well, you can read Will's latest stories at VOSD.org slash Will. Thanks, Will. Thank y'all. Back here in the studio. Will's, I wrote a story. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh. We, we commiserate often about how difficult it is for us to do that these yeah. days. Yeah, but we're so proud of ourselves in when the, we the do. In the rare instances when we do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Will's gone. Yeah. Scott's gone. It's just the two of us. Um, what is it that you found about Chicano Park that we already knew a lot of things were different about Chicano Park than uh-huh. other other parks in town? W- what is the most recent thing you've reported that is different about Chicano Park? This park is not run mm-hmm. um, by what every other park runs by, which is the Parks and Recreations Department of the city. Mm. Um, It is obviously receives public funding and blah, blah, blah. But the people who are making decisions about what happens at the park in terms of special events, which is one of the bigger parts about park, right? Parks, Mm -hmm. like big events that happen at these parks. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't get decided by the city's Parks and Recreations Department. That gets decided by a private group known as the Chicano Park Steering Committee. And um, they are a group that are, in one way, uh, the reason that the park exists today. Let's do that history. So I'm sure there's plenty of people who don't know that history, and you know it very well. So uh, in in what way is the steering committee responsible for the park existing at all? Okay. 53 years ago, or longer than that, Mm -hmm. um, there was a community known as Logan Heights. 
And that got split into pieces because mm-hmm. of Interstate 5 was built. So a lot of homes got taken out. Yeah. and uh, Literally the, cut in half. Cut in just half. Just right through this neighborhood. And then the San Diego Coronado Bridge was built. And mm-hmm. that also took out a lot of homes. So you have a community that had been bat- battling uh, their community torn apart. And then they had a lot of junkyards there. So there was sort of these like environmental justice fights going on. Mm-hmm. And all the neighborhood wanted was a park. And the city said, you'll get a park. Um, turns out that uh, they were building, they were getting ready to build a highway patrol station there instead of a park. And they found that out by like a uh, agenda that was posted on- No, no, uh, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Someone was walking by and there's all these bulldozers and he asked like, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, we're you know prepping for the build of a highway patrol station. And they were like, what? This is news to us. They went around, eventually the community rallied and you had a lot of student activists show up to the park and uh, they held the protests there and they like held for 12 days. Um, during this time, a group formed so that they could, you know, but get a better sense of control of negotiations and what was going on. And they were known as the Chicano Park Steering Committee. Um, And so after the 12 days went by, uh, the city said, okay, fine, we'll build you the park. But the Chicano Park Steering Committee, uh, the people who made up that group were the ones who were kind of on top of the city to make sure that they did follow through with their promise. Okay. And so then when the city worked to build the park after the fact, Mm -hmm. they were communicating with what remained of the steering committee that had grown out of this protest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the steering committee has been around since then. Never left. Never left. They, they are, um, they identify themselves. And when they talk about themselves, they, they call themselves the stewards of Chicano park and they really are. And they're unique because in any city park, you have sorts of like advisory boards or rec center advisory boards. Yeah. Particularly like regional parks, like Balboa park Park or mission Bay has a Balboa park committee. Mm-hmm. And these are all groups that are um, the way they operate and their rules are laid out in the city's municipal code. Mm. And the people who sit on these committees are appointed by the mayor and confirmed by the city council. And they have a sort of like advisory role to them. Right. They don't make final say on decisions. Kind, kind of like a community planning group. Yeah, like a planning group. Right. Yeah. So uh, you want to have a Christmas parade at Bobo Park? Well, you're probably going to talk to this group and you're going to talk to them about how many hand washing stations you're going to have and you know, is there going to be enough access to public restrooms and what's Which the traffic going to look how, like? Yeah, how many yeah. and there? they might say like, oh, you know, you might want to account for this. Uh, but at the end of the day, the city's Parks and Rec Department is going to issue a permit for this event to happen. <laughs> That's not how things work at Chicano Park. Mm-hmm. And so, OK, so the steering committee members, are they do they elect and appoint their own? There's no, yes. there's no, there's no involvement. There's from no, the mayor's there's office. no involvement from the mayor's office. Um, they have their own members and their members elect their, um, you know, their board chair, their secretary, et cetera. So if you wanted to throw a birthday party in the park or something like that, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't do what, like, you know, when I threw my kid's birthday party in Golden Hill Park, I had to go to Parks and Rec, get a, get a permit. It's more or less a, it's a routine practice. They uh-huh. just, they just give it to you. They tell you what you can't have, tell you what you can have, you get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would not be the process you would follow to get if you decided to have your own birthday party in Chicano Park? No. I mean, there might be two ways. So okay. if you're familiar with this organization and how the park functions, mm-hmm. uh, you would just directly reach out to this organization, you know, let them know, I want to have a big birthday party mm-hmm. at the park. I want to have a wedding at the park mm-hmm. um, and sort of get their blessing and permission. And then from there... For, you, to the committee itself. To the committee itself. Yeah. And then you would pursue the permits from the city, right? Like they would say, okay, you're okay, good to go. You're good. Yeah. We have no events on our calendar that we manage. Uh, um, so now you can get, you know, your permits from the city because the city requires you to have some sort of permits. Gotcha. The other way is that if you're normal Joe and you're used to the <laughs> permitting process, yeah. uh, you might go to the city and say, hey, I want to have an event at Chicano Park on this date, blah, blah, blah. They're going to say, okay, we're going to loop in the steering committee so that they can say if the date is available and the time is available and the the park is available for your event. Interesting. And so, I I mean, you know, in in some ways I would imagine this seems to stand to reason that this committee grew out of Mm -hmm. the fact that there had, the city had paid insufficient attention to the, to Mm -hmm. to the wishes of this community. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so they have 
uh, a, a different history and therefore a different relationship with the with the city and with with uh, how they manage this this space. Yeah, and that's what makes it unique. I mean, even that's what the city told me, right? Like mm. this unique history of this park that like the community fought to have mm-hmm. is why we you know, collaborate with them Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, get their guidance on what kind of special permits we are approving on our end that are okay with with this group. Mm -hmm. Um, And their stewardship of the park has, you know, earned them the respect of the community. And a lot of people, um, you know, value the work that they do for the neighborhood. And um, they put on the annual Chicano Park Day event, which brings like thousands of people and Mm -hmm. they honor and celebrate the park as a representation of the community's resilience mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. more than just, you know, this like park space. <laughs> yeah. It's not just grass. No, it's not just grass. <laughs> right. uh, well, but, and then I would imagine that there's at least the possibility though, that this leads to, I mean, essentially a private group controlling public access yeah. to a public space Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I, I don't think it's that hard to imagine ways that that could present accessibility mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what was that's what kind of drew me to this story. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I was curious. I wanted to know if this happened at any other park, which I found that. No, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to understand because, again, the history is like a huge part of why it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, 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 uh, it allows for a private group to make decisions that normally would not come from a private group. Um, and, you know, there's situations where I, I had requested event permit requests from the city and emails. And, um, you know, there's like funny ones from like 2019 where the San Diego Loyal Soccer team <laughs> wanted to unveil their um, their logo and their name to like the city of San Diego. Yeah. And they wanted to have like Chicano Park in the background and like people playing soccer in the background. And it's like perfect, like photo op, right? Yeah, you can understand why the, the, the new <laughs> soccer team in yeah. town would want to be yeah, there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, the steering committee though, on that date that they were requesting uh, happens to be um, a day of the dead celebration. So mm. at that time at the park, there's a lot of like altars for family members who have passed away. And it's a space where people come and remember their loved ones. And so the group said, you know, we appreciate your interest in our park, but like it's just not an appropriate thing to have, um, not an appropriate event to have while we have families who are visiting their loved ones, right? In that case, they made that decision. But there's another case where, you know, um, a family clinic wanted to have vaccinations and, you know, health screenings, free health screenings, which like you're in a Latino community that would probably benefit from something like that. And, um, you know, turns out the steering committee decided, I don't know why, um, but they decided that, you know, the park wasn't available on that date and that the event happened somewhere else. Where did they have the event? At Memorial Park. So it's not yeah. very far from Chicano Park, but you know when it comes I mean, to like outreach to f- communities. Yeah, yeah, hard. exactly. As for out, I mean, it's like Memorial Park is also a car- park in a you know uh, a community of color, mm-hmm. underserved area that you would want to have that sort of outreach. So it's, I mean, you know, it's yeah, it's not like they moved it to Carmel Valley or something like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, those sorts of outreach events my understanding of them is like you really need to go to people to the where community. they are. Yeah. And so if you move it to Memorial Park, you're really reaching a different group of people uh-huh. than if you have it in Chicano Park. You're yeah. gonna, like you're in either case, you're going to get the people who are most closely in the vicinity of that park. Mm-hmm. And so it not happening in Chicano Park essentially moved that service away from some amount of people who were who may have only gotten it in, in, in if it was there. Yeah. And there were other instances. I mean, there was one, this was further back. Um, I think it was from 2017. Um, he had, this man had secured a permit to have some sort of like graduation celebration ceremony mm-hmm. at the park. And apparently he, you know, was kicked out of the park and mm-hmm. was told to leave um, by the steering committee. And he was quite upset and the city had to issue he a refund for his permit. Yeah. yeah. So at, at one point um, in around 2019, I think the city decided uh, we should, you know, they were having a lot of issues, kind of these like emails back and forth between the steering committee saying, you're approving permits, you're not telling us, we already have something scheduled on that day because mm. they organize their own events, mm. um, where eventually the city just decided, all right, like we're going to start looping you in and um, started doing that. But I, you know, I found it interesting because it it is, you know, it's 
it's a you have to understand the history of the park. Again, it goes back to that. The history of the park. The park wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this group. This group of volunteers really do care for the park. But it doesn't happen at any other city park. And if it did, I'd be curious to see like what the response would be, right? If the yeah. Babo Park Committee had say, like complete say over who could yeah. be there. Could go shut down a, a yeah. birthday party that was yeah. happening. Yeah, would, would be super interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it would happen at yeah. those parks. So the history is a big part of it. Um, but yeah, it's super unique mm-hmm. to this community and this organization. The number of things that happen in Logan Heights, Barrio Logan, Chicano Park <laughs> that are like, yeah, it's only like that here. Here, yeah. Like the the zoning was for years. Yeah. It was specific, unique only to Barrio Logan. Mm-hmm. And, and this is yet another one. Yeah. Well, fantastic story. Glad you were able to to shake off the, the typing muscles. The spider webs. The spider webs, get it going. Uh, I hope one day to, to do so myself. Uh, all right. Thank you very much, Andrea Lopez Viafania. You can take a look at that story at voiceofsandiego.org slash Andrea. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Don't forget about that link, vosd.org slash events for our next live show that's coming up on May 10th at Whistle Stop with voice journalists and special guests. Tickets are going fast, so register now at vosd.org slash events, and we'll see you there. Scott Lewis is our CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. I'm Nate John, producer for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.